You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And we remain thankful. We stay on the straight and the narrow. We don't get lifted up in pride thinking, yeah, you know, the reason why we're blessed, the reason why we're growing, the reason why we're accomplishing things is because of my genius or my abilities, my capacities or or whatever. It keeps us humble. It keeps us on the straight and the narrow. Listen, gang, don't wait until you lose it to figure this truth out. Do you remember when Jesus, at his arrest, said that he could have a legion of angels come to his rescue? Today, Pastor Mike shows us, from the Word, that those same angels are here for you, too. Angels are messengers of God. Psalm 91 says that he gives his angels charge over you, to keep you and protect you. What a loving Father we have who commands His angels who are innumerable to help you in your daily life. Have you ever asked God to send His angels to help you? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Secret to Success. And again, that was the secret to David's success. He knew that the kingdom that had been given to him was God's kingdom. It wasn't his kingdom at all. And then thirdly, notice, David also knew that God had given him the kingdom. Why? For the sake of his people, Israel. You see, David knew God wanted to use him as a channel, as an instrument to bless his people, Israel. It wasn't for David's sake that he was lifted up, but rather for the sake of God's people Israel. You see that? Not that the leader would get a name or whatever, but the people who attend the church, I'll just use that as an example, for their benefit, for their blessing. But you know, it is unfortunate that many have the favor of God and do not perceive it. David knew that he had the favor of God, and he was thankful to God, and he gave God his due. But unfortunately, there are many that have the favor of God upon them to do whatever God has called them to do, but they do not perceive it. They're not thankful to God. And this is so very, very important. When we realize this, when we understand that God's blessing, that God's hand is upon us, you know, it keeps us close to God. You know, we don't get out in front of God to do our own thing, right? We seek God for all of the details, whether it's a ministry thing or a family thing or or whatever, a job situation, employment, or, or whatever. We don't want to get out before God. 
We want to make sure that we have our marching orders from God. And so to know that, that everything that we receive comes from God, comes from above, it keeps us close to Him. And we remain thankful. We stay on the straight and the narrow. We don't get lifted up in pride thinking, yeah, you know, the reason why we're blessed, the reason why we're growing, the reason why we're accomplishing things is because of my genius or my abilities, my capacities or or whatever. It keeps us humble. It keeps us on the straight and the narrow. Listen, gang, don't wait until you lose it to figure this truth out. Be thankful. Every one of you has the favor of God upon your life. Don't become jaded to that. Just be thankful. Thank God every day that you wake, you know, that you have the blessings of God, God's favor upon your life. And then we have these new heirs to the throne that are listed there in verses 13 through 16. Let's go back to our text. And David took more concubines and wives, which, by the way, was prohibited by God. Remember, uh, in one of our previous studies, I mentioned this. Kings were not, that is, the kings of Israel were not, uh, they were prohibited by God to multiply wives and horses. I never could understand the coupling of that. But nevertheless, because the reason why was that the wives that they would take to themselves would turn their hearts from God. Such was the case with Solomon, right? And uh, we'll see that as we continue through our Old Testament studies. Well, anyway... David disobeyed, and after he had come from Hebron, and more sons and more daughters were born to David. And as we trace the steps through David's life, even going forward, we will discover that most of David's problems arose from the fact that he took more concubines, that he took more wives, that he had more children. So a lesson for all of us to learn as well. Not that we're going to multiply wives, but disobey God's word, you see. That's the issue here. Well, this list that's recorded for us here in the room, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these names. Is that okay? Because I'm not going to be able to pronounce them, but their names are listed here for us in the remainder of verses 15 and 16. And that list spans 30 years of David's reign in Jerusalem. For being a king in that culture and time, his company is rather small, when compared to surrounding monarchs, sheiks, and emirs. And at this time, it was estimated that 17 sons were born to David. We're not exactly sure. It's all according to who you read. We don't actually know how many sons and daughters were born to David, how many wives, how many concubines he had actually uh, taken. But it's been estimated that 17 sons were born to David during his reign in Jerusalem. And once again, in comparison, this was small in number in contrast to other monarchs, other kings from other nations. Now, David has to go about defending the new empire. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 17 through 21. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. And by the way, that reference to the stronghold is Masada. Okay, so don't be confused about that. It is Masada. The Philistines also went 
And by the way, this was a good tactical move on David's part, and I'll give you the reasons why in just a moment. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. They thought that that would be an advantage for them, which it would have been. But David threw them a curve, and he rather went down to Masada. So David inquired of the Lord. Take special note of that. You might not want to even underline that phrase. David inquired of the Lord. Notice that. David inquired of the Lord. He's a king. Oh, to God that our leaders here in the United States of America would make their appeal unto God. That they would inquire of the Lord. If we are to experience great success here in the United States of America, our leaders better inquire of the Lord. And that's the very reason why we need to pray for our leaders, our president, those who are members of his administration senators, congressmen, and such, or mayors, even at the local level. We need to pray for them. Verse 19, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, And David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of the place Baal-perizim. And they left their images, that is the Philistines left their idols there because they were defeated there. I guess the Philistines brought these idols out to the battle with them. They thought that they would be able to assist them in, in defeating the Israelites in this campaign, in this, in this battle. But notice, they hightailed it out of there as quick as you know, they could, and thus they left their images or their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And later on, these idols that the Israelites took, that they had left behind, that the Philistines had left behind, they were taken as trophies, and they were later burned according to what is recorded for us in 1 Chronicles in chapter 14 in verse 12. So, when all of Israel proclaims David as their king, the Philistines realize that David is bound to expel them from the cities they have lived in since defeating Saul on Mount Gilboa. Uh, Remember when the Philistines went up against Saul and killed Saul and his son Jonathan, and they were successful in their battle against Israel, after the Israelites were driven out of their cities, the Philistines occupied those cities that were once occupied by the Israelites. And having great respect, that is the Philistines, for David's prowess, the entire Philistine forces converge on the valley of Rephaim. And when David heard of the invasion, he took inventory of the situation. He didn't run out into the battle. He just took stock, he took inventory of the situation, realizing he didn't have enough time to rally all of Israel. The Philistines were just about upon them. And that the Philistines had this advantage in the valley of Rephaim. David, therefore, notice, makes his way down to the stronghold, Masada. Verse 17, possibly that location, the cave of Adullam. And again, this was a good move. It was a good idea. It was a good strategy. Because being there, the Philistines would have to engage in guerrilla warfare 
to flush David out and his men of that area. And so David's actions nullify the Philistines' advantage there in the valley of Rephaim. So although David is using his battle instincts here, notice, nevertheless, according to verse 19, and again, this is significant, once again, draw your attention to this, he inquired of the Lord. Now, David may have had in mind different tactics to defeat the Philistines, thinking, and remember, he was very able in battle. We've seen this in some of our previous studies, very capable going out against the Philistines, always victorious, never defeated. So he may have been thinking as he was about to enter into this next conflict, maybe he was formulating an idea of how they were going to go out against the Philistines. Maybe he was thinking about, hmm, I'll get my men together and we'll attack them in a surprise way, maybe a surprise kind of a raid on their camps, or maybe some kind of a hit-and-run maneuver. But no, no. Notice what God says. He says, go up. Right? He didn't say circle around them. He didn't say use any other kinds of tactics that David may have been considering. God just simply says, go up. And let me tell you something. This was a quite a test of David's faith. Remember, because as I mentioned before, he was going to attack the combined Philistine forces with only 600 men. His faith is implicit here. His approach is to attack the enemy base camp at Baal Perizim. Notice there in verse 20. And his force, the 600 men, break through the enemy's ranks like rushing water breaching a barricade. And thus the Philistines are routed. And now let's pick up once again in verse 21. And so they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. So these creations of man's hands, these idols, are no match when compared to the God of glory. And now we have the record of the second raid. There was two. Two raids. The Philistines upon Israel. And thus we have the record of the second Philistine attack in the remainder verses here in chapter 5. Let's pick up in verse 22. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves, guess where? The same place, in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David, notice again, inquired of the Lord, and he said, you shall not go up. In other words, you're not going to frontal attack them this time. This time you're going to circle around them. Notice God gives him a different strategy to go up against the Philistines. And David would have never known that. David never would have been successful in the second campaign unless he had inquired of the Lord. You know, don't get into this mindset like God always does the same thing, they're always the same way, and, you know, just kind of rest in, hey, God did this before, and so, you know, I don't need to inquire a second time on how to go up and defeat the enemy. Don't get into that mindset. Be careful. Be careful. Always make sure when you're going up against an enemy that you inquire of the Lord. So anyway, God said, you shall not go up, but circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. What's this all about? Oh man, you're going to love this. This is really cool. The mulberry trees. Hold on to that. 
And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Who in the world is going to be marching on the top of the mulberry trees? Then you shall advance. That's going to be your sign that you should go forth against the Philistines. That you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Okay, so, very interesting here. What's being recorded for us. Here, David again inquires of the Lord. And again, you have to to really uh, commend David for this. But notice here, the Philistines aren't easily dissuaded uh, from their intention. And once again, they determine that the Valley of Rephaim is still the best location to attack Israel. But again, as I mentioned, I can't beleaguer this uh, enough. David again inquires of the Lord. He could have easily relied on the same strategy as before, but he didn't. This time, God said, don't go up frontly, circle around, surprise attack them, and what David and his men heard that night, as they were just waiting, they were waiting for the green light, they were waiting for that sound of someone marching on the top of these mulberry trees. And what David and his men heard that night was designed by God to give them assurance that God was going before them in this battle. So, verse 24, the sign of the Lord's work. This marching on top of the mulberry trees. This was the sign that God was going to work. The sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, commenting on this incident here, says, and I quote, As the rabbis have it, and it is a very pretty conceit, if it be true, the footsteps of angels walking along the tops of the mulberry trees make them rustle. That was the sign for them to fight, that is Israel, to go forth in battle. When God's cherubims were going with them, when they should come, who can walk through the clouds and fly through the air, led by the great captain himself, who guessed who that was. It was Jesus. Even as Jesus went before his people Israel, when Joshua went and defeated the first city of conquest when they crossed over the Jordan and first entered into the land of Canaan. Jesus was the commander that led that campaign against the city of Jericho. Remember that? Jesus was present with them. It was Jesus. So, walking along the mulberry trees... And so they made a rustle by their celestial footsteps. You know, I think that the equivalent of this for you and for me is when we see the work of God happening, and that is exactly what Israel were to take note of, that that was the sign God was working when they heard that rustling of the mulberry trees. That was the sign that God was working. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? You know, something's going on. You really can't explain what's going on or what's already taken place without putting God behind it. It's an indication that God is working, that God has gone before us. So the equivalent of this for you and for me is when we see the work of God happening around us, 
It is like the sound in the mulberry trees. And the rustling should awaken us to what? To prayer and devotion. And you know, that work of God, God's moving, God's going before us, it may have to do with something, you know, some personal sin within our lives as well. But God's moving. Up until this point, you haven't been able to get the victory over some area of your life, that reoccurring sin. But nevertheless, you know that God is moving. It may be in a study like this one, and you can sense God is moving. Something's happening right now in your hearts as the Word of God is going forward. In a time of crisis, in a time of tragedy, in a time when God is rebuking you of your sin, it is also like the sound in the mulberry tree. The rustling sound should awaken us to confession and repentance of our sin. That's what we should take away from this. Listen, gang. God wants to work within each and every one of our lives. Again, this time, David didn't go up frontly. He circles around, surprised, attacked them. And what David and his men heard that night was designed by God to give them assurance that God was going before them. Well, David and his men do exactly as the Lord commanded them, and at the appropriate time, the exact time, they attack quickly and decisively according to our text. And the victory of the Philistines is complete. They flee from Geba all the way to Gezer. And from that time onward, the Philistines make no serious attempt to attack Israel ever again. And so by these actions of the Lord, it showed that he had put his hand upon David and that he had secured the throne of his anointed. And why was that? What was the secret to David's success? Folks, no secret at all. You see, David had developed a strong internal God consciousness. And I want to encourage you, and I want to exhort you to likewise develop a strong internal God consciousness. How do we do that? Through prayer, through the study of the Word of God, through fellowship one with another. You see, David had come to see the Lord of glory as the God Most High, which is a name that implies His sovereign authority over all things. He knew that God alone has the right to be worshipped, even as we need to come to that place where God alone, we know that, He alone is to be worshipped. He alone will answer our prayers. That He is the believer's shelter, refuge, fortress, and deliverer. With David, his Godward relationship secure, David could now concentrate on doing God's will. And as a result, as we will see going forward, wherever David went, whatever he put his hand to, God prospered him. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. 
David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too. And his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.